He is risen. Okay, we're going to do it again. I'll say he is risen, and you say he is risen indeed, and we'll do it three times. Can we do it? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, that we could sing the songs of Jesus today. We could sing the songs of resurrection. We could sing the songs of his death, of his burial, and then his resurrection again. We thank you for what he has done in our lives. We thank you for each person who is here. We thank you for each guest who is here, each visitor who is here, those who are online listening from all over the world. Father, I pray that each one of us would walk out of this room differently than we walked in or walked out of that living room differently than when they walked in if they're home. Father, we thank you for all you have done for us and what we celebrate on this day, Easter morning, 2023. And I pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. You may be seated, and thank you, team. Great job. Wow. You can clap. Wow. Isn't it great? We're so glad you're here. If you're visiting us, we welcome you. Afterwards, we have a gift for you. Our church has been going through a 21-day journal, and it finishes today, but it's not numbered or, or it's not dated, it's numbered. And so we would like to give everyone who's visiting today one of these journals. It's a 10-minute look in the Bible once a day for 21 days to talk about. It talks about what Jesus did leading up to all the things of this week, and then, of course, this morning with Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. So it's for yours. There'll be some tables outside. Carl will tell us more about that. But we're glad you're here. And Elizabeth is with me. If you don't know us, we're Bill and Elizabeth Mitchell. We are part of the leadership team here at Boca Community Church. And we're glad you're here with us to celebrate. Today, Elizabeth is going to open the scripture and talk about, read the story of today first, and then talk about one of the key characters of the story. Thank you. Good morning, church family. And a blessed Easter morning to each of you. Thank you for joining us to worship the risen Lord together. We're in John chapter 20. I'll start at verse 1. And then I'll jump down to verse 11. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter and John ran with her back to the garden. They stooped in, they looked inside, they saw that the tomb was empty. They shook their heads, they didn't understand what was going on. And then they left. But Mary stayed. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. 
Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. At a time in Jesus' life when just about everyone was trying to extinguish his life, there were a few faithful, loving friends who did everything in their power to help him. And Mary Magdalene was one of those people. We read her story in all four Gospels, Matthew 27, Mark 15 and 16, Luke 8, and the passage from John 20. Her story is not usually listed in the hierarchy of saints, but I think you will agree with me that it should be. She's the first person that Jesus had a conversation with after he broke through that tomb. What an honor she had. And her name is usually listed first whenever the four gospel writers mention her in the group of women that she ministered alongside. Mary was from the city of Magdala, which is near the Sea of Galilee. And because there were so many Marys in the story, they called her Mary of Magdala or Mary Magdalene. She was devoted to Christ. I think as we read her story, we would recognize she was a wholly devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. She traveled with him, with other women. She traveled with the disciples. And this group of women, Mary was one of the leaders, ministered and took care of the needs of Jesus and the disciples. Mary was generous to Christ and to the disciples. The scriptures tell us that from her own means, from her own pocket, she helped to pay for the expenses that Jesus and the disciples would have as they traveled, as he taught, as he preached, and as he healed all across Galilee and all the way to Jerusalem. We even see her on the morning of the resurrection coming into the garden with spices in her arms that she had purchased to anoint his body. Mary was devoted and Mary was generous and I believe those character traits that she had propelled her to also be fearless. She became a fearless follower of Jesus Christ. We find Mary close to the cross when Jesus is dying. And she would have heard when he proclaimed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the sin transfer of the world was placed on our Savior. Mary was right there. When his enemies were deriding him and mocking him and ridiculing him on the cross, 
when the 12 disciples had deserted him and ran away because they were afraid of being caught themselves. Mary didn't go into hiding. Mary was right there. When Joseph of Arimathea placed the body of Jesus in that buried tomb in the garden, we also find Mary right there looking on from a distance. And then what we celebrate today, Mary enters the garden. It's dark. It's Sunday morning. She's bringing spices in and she discovers that the stone has been rolled away and there's nobody in the tomb. And so she runs to get Peter and John and they race back. They look in. They don't know what to make of what has occurred and they leave. But Mary doesn't leave. Mary was right there. She stoops in. She looks inside the tomb. She has a conversation with two angels as if it's something she did every day. No sense that she was the least bit afraid. And then she hears another voice. And she thought this voice was the gardeners. They were in a garden. It made sense that a gardener would be talking to her. And she confronts this man and says, if you know where the body has been, tell me, and I will go and get it. What a remarkable woman, fearless in the face of all these odds and unafraid to go and carry the dead weight of a man's body back to safety. She would do whatever it took to help her Lord. But Mary discovered what we all know, that Jesus had risen from the dead. He called her name. She turned around and she had this incredible conversation with the Lord, the first one to do it. And I would imagine for the rest of her life, she would repeat that glorious story that she saw the risen Lord face to face, that he was no longer dead, that the grave could not hold him back. And Jesus, knowing that he could trust his faithful, loyal, dedicated, committed friend, he gave her this great commission to go to the other disciples and tell them the news that he had kept his promise, that he had broken through the grave, that he was alive. And Mary did just what Jesus asked her to do. Why? What propelled her to be this courageous and this devoted and this fearful Mary had been demon-possessed. And we learn in the scriptures that Jesus had delivered her from seven demons. And I believe she never got over the miracle he performed in her life. He had rescued her and freed her from demonic oppression. He had restored her and renewed her. She was redeemed. And she served and gave and loved from that place, from that reservoir of what Jesus had done for her. It all stemmed from what Jesus had done for her, not really about who she was all by herself. God rewarded Mary's devotion. 2,000 years later, we're still learning lessons from her life. And my prayer for myself, first of all, and for all of you, is that together we would continue to serve him, continue to love him, continue to be committed and devoted and courageous 
on his behalf, no matter what. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Liz. So Mary Magdalene, when she pictured Jesus, it caused her to be generous and grateful. It caused her to be devoted, and it caused her to be courageous. Let me ask you, how do you picture God? How do you picture him? Just think of it. How do you picture him? What do you think of when you think of God? Let's not just talk Jesus now. Let's talk about God. What do you think of? I've asked this question many times over the years, and I get three of the same answers, one of three answers, or sometimes two. One, some of us think of God as a judge. He is our judge. Some of us think of God as father, and some of us think of God as king. Can we talk about that for a minute? God as our father, God as our judge, God as our king. So God is our judge. We get a little negative with this, right? Because there's a whole negative side to this. It, it makes us think there's a courtroom and God is on uh, the dais and you and I are in the seat there and Satan's over here pointing the finger at us saying you're guilty and she's guilty and he's guilty. And we kind of live this way because there's all kinds of rules in the Bible, aren't there? There's the Ten Commandments. How many of us have followed all the Ten Commandments? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Wow, there's a few little kids raising their hand. I love it. I love it. All right. That's optimism at its best. Well, there's not just the Ten Commandments. There's hundreds of other commandments in the Bible. We cannot keep all the commandments. So the negative is there's a penalty. There's guilt. There's judgment. There's a debt. The death is death, the Bible says. All this negativity about God being our judge. But there's a positive side to God being our judge, and it's that there's a sense of payment. There's a sense of innocent. Our guilt has been taken away. How does this work? It works because of Jesus. Let me give you an example. In John chapter 8, there's a story where a lady was caught in adultery, and back then adultery was condemned to death, and the way they killed men and women this way, although there was no men in the, man in the story, so I can't figure it out. He somehow got away, but this woman's on the ground. They've surrounded her, and they've picked up stones. They're in the desert, kind of an arid place, so there's a lot of big rocks, not the little stones we have here in Florida, big rocks. They've picked the big rocks, and they're about to stone them, and Jesus says, wait. Whoever has never sinned, you cast the first stone. You give it out. You throw it. Go ahead, throw it. And nobody did, did they? What did they do with the stones? You can just picture it, right? They dropped it, and they dropped it, and they dropped it. And then they all left, and all that was left was this lady on the ground that had been kicked there, and Jesus. And what did Jesus say to her? Go and sin no more. You see, sin was there, penalty was there, but Jesus forgave her. The story of Easter is about Jesus paying for our sin. He is our substitute. There's a lot of big words that we use theologically about that, but basically it is this. We have all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God, and we need to pay for it. And death is the only way to pay for our sin. 
And there's only two people who can pay for your sin. Do you know that? Your sin can be paid two ways. One is you pay for your sin, and another is Jesus pays for your sin. I cannot pay for your sin. I'm your pastor. I can't pay for your sin. Now, if you get a ticket, I can maybe pay a little, you know, to pay your ticket off. Or if you get in a little debt, maybe I can pay the little debt off. But the big stuff, I can't pay off. Because I, even if I said I would die for you, I can't pay it off because I am not a perfect substitute. You need a perfect substitute, so either you do it or a perfect substitute does it. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, the substitute, shall live and shall never die but have eternal life. So here it is, eternal life. And out of that, what happens? When the great accuser accuses me or you or you or you of sin, Jesus blocks it. Now, when I was growing up and I heard this story, people would say, God doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. I go, well, how does that work? Doesn't God see everything? Of course he does. But when he's looking for the penalty of sin, he is not looking at me anymore. He's looking at his son, Jesus, who paid for the penalty. That's what it means in this courtroom. So everybody goes, oh, we can't talk about God being our judge. That's a little too judgmental. And nowadays with all this woke culture, we can't be judgmental now, can we? Well, let me tell you, we have been judged already, whether you like it or not. I don't care what anybody says, we have already been judged, but God already sent his son here long before you and I were ever born. The answer came before our problem even existed. I mean, the problem of me. Because I didn't start for a couple of decades ago, many decades ago, actually. My problem didn't start till then. But Christ paid for it even before then. So, God is our judge, but if we believe in Jesus, what happens? There should be a sense of gratitude, and out of that gratitude, generosity. And this is what Mary Magdalene had. She had a lot that she was losing. She was a sinner, and God saved her through Jesus Christ, and out of that came this incredible gratitude and this incredible generosity that you see throughout the Bible story and the Gospels. Now, the second is God as our Father. Now, there's a problem with this because when you sin in your family, what happens? You know, we all, yeah, not we all, but some of us have, you know, that uncle that was never very good and that niece or nephew who was never very good. And, and what do we always say? They shamed the family, right? You go, oh, yeah, we don't talk about Uncle Joe anymore because he shamed the family. And we talk about shame. So the bad part of a family is shame, and there's also guilt in there, and there's dishonor and disrespect, and there's brother against brother. So there's the bad part of it, but the good part of that God is our Father is this, is that we now have a home. Home. There's a home. We've been adopted. If you believe in Jesus Christ, there is an adoption that occurs. Now, it's interesting. Where is this in the Bible? 
If you remember the story of the prodigal son, do you remember that story? It's a story of three people. There's a father, an older son, and a younger son. And the younger son wanted his inheritance. Now we need to understand, those of us from the West don't get it because some of us give our inheritance or received our inheritance before the death of our parents. They give it ahead, they pay for your college, they buy you a car, they help you buy an apartment or a house. We see this all the time. That didn't happen back then. Back then, the only way to get an inheritance was death. Dad dies, you get the money, your portion. And so when the young brother said, I want my inheritance, what he was saying is, I want you dead. Dad, I want you dead. See, we don't see that. We just say, oh, he was greedy. No, he wanted his father dead. He wanted the money more than he wanted the father. The family is fractured. And the dad does it. And the dad gives it to him. And he goes, and what does he do? He goes to a far country and spends it. We don't know if it was a day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, but the money ran out. And when the money ran out, he couldn't do anything, couldn't get a job. So he finally starts working for a farmer, a pig farmer. He's Jewish. Do you see the irony here? He's Jewish. He has no money. He's not even allowed to eat the little carob seeds. So he has to eat the pods. He's eating the pods just to hope to get a little nourishment out of the pods. The pigs are eating the seeds and the nectar, and he's getting the pods. And he finally says, enough of this. I'm going to go back to my father and ask if I can be his servant. He didn't think he could get back into the family. The family was gone. He had sinned so much, he couldn't come to the family. So he comes back. And what does he say to the father? Father, I have sinned and I don't deserve to be your son. That's true humility. That's asking, that's confession, asking for forgiveness, just like with the other one, the judge part, asking for forgiveness. And what did the dad do? The dad didn't go, get out of here. You've got your inheritance, go. The rest goes to my older son, the one who loved me, the one who never left me. Did he say that? What did he do? He hugged him, yes, he did hug him. But he gave him a robe. He gave him sandals. And then he gave him a ring. Now again, we don't get it. We think rings are husband, wife. Rings back then also were family things. The father gave the son a ring to show his sonship. And then he killed the fatted calf. Here's a boy who hadn't eaten in who knows how many months except for husk and pods of the carob tree. And now he's getting the full fatted calf. You see, God is our father. And what does that make us? His sons and daughters. And when that happens, as Mary Magdalene knew it with Jesus, you become devoted to him. You become devoted to him. When Elizabeth said she was a holy, devoted follower of Jesus, what does that mean? We know who our father is and we love our father. Oh, we make mistakes and we sin and our father is there to receive us. But the Bible tells us the son who was lost is now found. And the Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save those who were what? Found? No, those who were lost. He's going after the lost. And who are the lost? The Bible says, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. 
Christ came to save the lost. And to do what with them? Bring them back into the family. So he's done. He's taking us in, out of the judgment into freedom, into innocence, into our guilt being paid. Oh, by the way, you remember in Romans, I'll give you the theology of this. This isn't a theology class. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is therefore. So when there is twice, it means like a double imperative. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you're not going to be condemned as an ex-son, and you're not going to be condemned as someone who has sinned and is guilty. You're going to be found innocent, and you're going to be a son or daughter again. And that's what Jesus does. And then over here, the last one is, God is our king. Well, there's a negative to that. There's this whole thing about Satan and hell and heaven and armor of God and battles and all this big stuff, right? But there's also a good part of it. There's a kingdom. And Christ came to let us be a part of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. He wants us to be a part of the kingdom. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to do this. Now, what's the story of this? The night of which Jesus rose from the dead, the first Easter, the first resurrection Sunday, the disciples were scared to death that they would be next. A couple of them had seen Jesus. And when I mean disciples, there were about 70 of them there, not the apostles, but all of them. Mary Magdalene was there. Other men and women were all there. They're, they're bound up in this closed room and a large room. We think it may even been the upper room that they had had the Passover feast uh, three days before, four days before. And they're in this room, it's locked. And Jesus comes and he presents himself to them. Isn't that beautiful? The king comes. The king comes. The problem was one of the key disciples was not there. Do you remember who was not there? Thomas. Thomas was not there. I think Thomas gets a bad rap. I believe Thomas was probably out buying food. These people are scared to death. I'm going to go buy food for everybody. So he's out in the city. Jesus comes and, and reasserts his kingship. And they're worshiping, and it's going great. Jesus leaves, and Thomas comes back. And they all go, we have seen the Lord. What is the Lord? The Lord is a king. We have seen the Lord. And Thomas goes, guys, uh, you know, you a little too much here. You guys are really nervous. He says, unless I see the handprints and the spear mark, I will not believe. So a whole week goes by. It's now, that was the first Sunday. It's eight days later, the next Sunday. They're still holed up in this room. They're still afraid that the leaders are going to attack them. They're there. And Jesus comes back in the room. The doors are locked. The king of kings can do whatever he wants. He comes through, right? Comes right through. And you know what he does? He doesn't go to the worshipers. He goes to the doubter, to Thomas. He goes to Thomas. And you know what he does? This is so beautiful. He doesn't go, excuse my English, you idiot, didn't I tell you in three days I would rise again? Didn't I tell you that I have come to save you? Didn't I tell, and then all these, your buddies, they saw me and didn't they tell you? He didn't say any of that, did he? What did he do? He did this. 
Is that incredible? The king of kings went to the doubter and said, okay, touch, feel it. And you know what Thomas did? Thomas did what you do in front of a king. He bowed down and he said, my Lord and my God. Do you see that? Ultimately, sooner or later, you and I have got to make a decision. Is God just up there, some judge? Maybe he's the father. Maybe he's a king up there. Or is this story of Jesus true? Because if it is true, it will give you courage. The Bible says God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power, kingship, and a sound mind. So the question becomes, are you grateful about this? Are you generous through this? Are you devoted and are you fearless? Do you have courage? I think nowadays in 2023, we who are followers of Jesus Christ need a little courage, don't we? I think we need a little devotion, don't we? I think we need a little generosity and gratitude as well. This is something that Mary Magdalene had. This is something that we have. Now we're all in this room, or you're on watching online, because you know Jesus. Everybody in this room knows Jesus. It's Easter, you sang about him, you heard about him, you know Jesus. But do you really know Jesus? Do we really know Jesus? A couple of years ago, my son Greg, he was in high school and I, we were given family tickets to Wimbledon. I have a friend whose son was playing in Wimbledon and couldn't go and watch him. I don't get that. If my son was playing in Wimbledon or my daughter, I'd be there to watch him. He said, do you want the tickets? I said, of course. So we took the family tickets. When you have family tickets to Wimbledon, you can go anywhere. You get that th thing, lanyard you put on, you can go in the locker room, you can go to lunch with the tennis players, you can go to any court at the court side, you can be in the family box of anywhere except center court, anywhere else in the whole place. It's like the pass of passes. So Greg and I thought, let's go eat with the tennis players. So we get there and there's a tables and then there's a lunch bar there and there's Rafael Nadal. And guess what? We had lunch with Rafael Nadal. He was sitting there facing that way with his friends. We are sitting here facing this way. And we said, hi, Rafael, great match this morning. And he said, thank you. I know Rafael Nadal. <laughs> I've watched him for years at the French Open in the Wimbledon. I've seen him live, I've seen him on TV, I've seen him in tapes, the guy's unbelievable. I know Rafael. The next day, it was interesting, the next day I said to Greg, he's a lawyer, he loves law and all, I said, he wasn't then, he was just in high school, but I said, let's go to the parliament building. I've never been inside the parliament building and at, in England they do parliament at night in the United States, it's kind of in the day, the Congress. So I said, let's go. So he and I went, stand in line, get frisked, did everything. I said, let's go to the House of Lords. I've never, you know, I've never seen the House of Lords, let's go. So we're walking in the corridor in Parliament and here comes Margaret Thatcher. Now, those of you from other countries are too young to know, she was like the Iron Lady, actually, of the 1980s and 90s. She was a prime minister. This woman was unbelievable. It was during my growing up period, and so I really loved her, read about her, watched the movies about her, and, all, and there she was. 
in her blue, with the blue hat that she always wore. I said, hello, Lady Thatcher. And she said, hello. It was unbelievable. And then we went into the House of Lords and I'd never been there before. They don't show pictures, they always show the House of Commons. The gallery is so low, I could have picked off her hat. Yeah, I was that close to her. I mean, she was right there and there it was and she was right there. I was, we, we sat right behind her. I mean, literally, I could have picked off her hat. Now, I know Rafael Nadal and I know Margaret Thatcher. Here's the problem, Margaret Thatcher's is deceased, so she couldn't do it. But if she were living and you went, do you know Bill and Greg? And you know what she would say? Who? <laughs> and then Raphael, do you know Bill and Greg? He'd go, who? Well, when you were in Wimbledon, well, I've been to Wimbledon 18 times. When you were eating at the lunch, I ate lunch there four or five times a week that I'm there. I don't know them. You see, just knowing about them means nothing. And so many of us, we all know Jesus. I know Jesus, you know Jesus, we all know Jesus. But do we really know him? So three days before, four days before, on Thursday before the resurrection, before Easter morning, Jesus had been betrayed, remember, by Judas? And he was taken to a trial. When he was taken to a trial, actually multiple trials, he was taken to a home we usually can go to the home when we go to Israel, but it's being renovated. There's some, it's under a building. They found the ruins. And you go there, and the home had an outer court and an inner court and kind of an open area. Very open because it's an arid place. And in the outer court was where everybody would come, and they'd get a fire going because it was cold. And that's where Peter and some people were. The inner court was where Jesus was. And I think the Apostle John went in there with him. They're in there, and he's getting in trouble, and he's getting tried, and all these things are happening. And in between the outer court and the inner court, it's a little knee wall, a wall that's about this high. You can actually step over it. I've actually sat on it. It's this high, you know, just a little three-foot wall, little opening. And you remember Peter was asked, do you know Jesus? Now, that's an easy answer. Yes, I do. But he didn't. He said, no, I don't. And how many times did he say, no, I don't? three times. And you know what happened on the third time? Several things happened. First of all, the rooster crowed as Jesus had portrayed and predicted. Also, Peter's whole life changed. But it was because of this. When Peter said no, Jesus turned. He was right there. Close as I am to the edge of this stage, Jesus is right there. He turned and looked at him. You see, Jesus knew Peter. My friends, it's not whether you just know Jesus. Do you truly know the Savior? The word know, K-N-O-W in the Bible, means an intimate relationship. It's like this. It's a relationship of a judge who has set you free. It's the relationship to a father, to a daughter, a father, to a son. It's a relationship of a king to his kingdom. And today, Easter, Resurrection Sunday, 2023, is the day, my friends, that we need to stop playing about knowing Jesus and we've got to start saying, I do believe in Jesus. Because if you don't, you will lose courage. 
you will not be devoted and you will not be generous and show gratitude and you'll be a hypocrite, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So let's bow our heads right now. And I want you to think, do you really know the Savior? We have to ask for forgiveness of sin. Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you've never done this, you can pray right now this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me my sins and clean me and be my savior. And thank you for doing that. That's what it truly means. Then say amen. If you have done that for the first time, after we sing a song at the end, come forward. There'll be people here praying. If you just wanna come and pray, there'll be a lot of fantastic things going on outside. You can wait five minutes to get out there. They'll be there for a long time. Just come on down. And here for the rest of us, just keep your eyes closed for a moment. You believe in Jesus. You know him. You're a follower of him. Do you have that gratitude and generosity of spirit that Mary Magdalene had? Nobody doubted that Mary loved Jesus. Are you truly devoted to him? Nobody doubted that Mary loved Jesus and was devoted to him. And do you have that God-given courage to do something about it? Mary didn't sit in a closed, locked room. She went out there and did it. And my friends, in this country, we need to go out and be salt and light in a world that has lost its salt and has no light. And why don't we start it right here at Boca Raton Community Church on April 9th, 2023. If you wanna rededicate yourself, come down afterwards. If you wanna pray with somebody or just pray by yourself, come down here afterwards. Now as we close, look up here. I love Easter because it is the most hopeful day of the year because when all was dark, all became light again. If you are discouraged, today is the day to shift. If you are worried, today is the day to change. If you have a wayward family member, today is the day to be encouraged and pray for them. Amen? God bless you.